it. You know what I mean? If you feel that you done did wrong, then that's that's sin. You know. It's just bad. <laughs> sin is bad. Doing something that you know is wrong. If you know that it's wrong, they know that it's that it's wrong. Sin is when you do something that you know is wrong. When you do something that's uh, contrary to what you believe. Do you think that there are some sins that are worse than other sins? Is it all the same? Uh, yeah. Personally, I feel some sins are worse more than others. The quick answer is yes. My Catholic answer would be yes, there's mortal sins. And yeah, so, yeah. Tell me which ones are worse than the others. Um, I would think that killing somebody would be a worse sin than lying to your parents about something. Killing someone. Killing another man. Committing adultery. Theft. Uh, rape. Blaspheme. Blaspheme. That's what I would say. To sit there and say there's not a higher power. That's the ultimate sin. Killing people is worse. Yeah, it's a lot worse than telling a little white lie, I think. Uh, I don't know. I said, if a sin is a sin, then it's a sin. Sin is sin no matter what. No matter how you look at it, sin is sin. You either sin or you don't sin. Is there any consequences for sin? I think so, yes. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, it's called karma. It happens to us every day. I, I kind of feel in a karma that what comes around goes around. Whether right. it's a little slam the finger in the door or, or if it's a financial bond or whatever you know what i mean so if you do evil it might not come back to you right away but eventually it will is there any consequences for sin i think so yes i think it affects the afterlife in what way tell me a little bit about that i don't think we can know I don't believe in a heaven or hell, but I think it would be different for everybody. Consequences. That's not for me to perceive, and that's not for me to judge, really. Who am I to judge you for your sins, or, you know, for my, me for mine? I'm not here to judge who sins and who not sins, you know what I mean? Do you think you're a sinner? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, I don't think I'm up there in the, the, the worst sinners. You know, I feel there's some are worse than others. I'm a sinner on little things, but not big things. I guess I am because I'm not perfect. Do you sin? I'm sure I have, yeah, so everyone does it every once in a while. Do you sin? I do. Um, how often? Every day? Every week? Every day. Daily. It's ridiculous, but yeah. I probably sin multiple times today. Every day I go to work. Every day I walk out the door. Are you sinning right now by any chance? No. Is everyone a sinner? I don't, I wouldn't know. Everybody has some kind of sin. We always born into sin, so we all sinners. ago there was a survey done Americans attitudes towards sin and I just want to fly through these real quickly I've got a bunch of them but I want you to notice how many people in America think a certain thing is sin put the first slide up there please adultery eight out of ten people in America believe that's sin racism 74 percent using hard drugs such as cocaine LSD 65 percent next one not saying anything if a cashier gives you too much change 63 percent Having an abortion, 56%. Homosexual activity or sex, 52%. Not reporting some income on your tax returns, 52%. Reading or watching pornography, 50 Half of America believes that reading or watching pornography is sin, which means the other half doesn't think it's sin. Gossip, 47%. Swearing, 46%. Sex before marriage, 45%. Homosexual thoughts, 44%. Sexual thoughts about someone you are not married to, 43%. Doing things as a consumer that harm the environment, 41%. Smoking marijuana, 41%. Getting drunk, 41%. Gambling, 30%. Not attending church or religious services regularly, 18%. Drinking alcohol, and this is any alcohol, 
14 percent. That's the last one. That's the last one. Now, what I want to talk to you today about is the biblical definition of sin. It's a word we don't like very much, but it's a word that Jesus himself talked about quite often. And so I want to give you a definition as it as it was originally uh, contained in the scripture. Here's what sin means. It means to miss the mark. Now, the mark in this case, it's a target. The mark in this case is God's standard of perfection as evidenced by Jesus Christ. Now, if you listen to what those people on the video said, or if you looked at the survey, you'd, you'd probably say, well, that Americans, their target seems to be moving. It's not a fixed target. Because if you'd have taken the same survey 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you'd have gotten a different set of answers. And so Americans, they have this moving target. Nobody knows for sure what sin is. I think that's on purpose. I think it's kind of like that old Peanuts cartoon where Charlie Brown was shooting a, a bow and arrow. And he's such a bad shot that he can't hit the target. So he comes up with this ingenious plan. He'll shoot the arrow and then he'll run over wherever it lands and he'll paint the target around it. Now, none of us would do that, would we? We do it every day when it comes to sin because we make up the standards as we're going along. And if we didn't have the Bible, we could probably get away with that. But we have the Bible and it's very, very clear what the standards are. You saw the verse on the video, but here it is again. Romans 3.23. It says, all have sinned. Now, I I just got to make sure we drive this home. So I want you to read those three words to me. First three words. Do it again. One more time. All have sinned. sinned. That means I've sinned. You've sinned. The best person you ever have known on this planet, not named Jesus, has sinned. All have sinned. And then look what we deserve for that. All fall short of God's glorious standard. We don't like this this nasty word called sin. It's, It's this nasty little thing that we would rather not talk about. Anywhere sin because sin means I did it on purpose Sin means it was premeditated Sin means I knew it was wrong when I did it and it doesn't make me feel very good about myself This word sin. We don't like this word. In fact, if I can if I commit a lot of sins I start to feel kind of bad about myself So we we've quit using this word and instead we've chosen a better word and it's called mistake I like mistake better than sin, and I think you probably do too. I'd rather say this word. Let me give you a definition of mistake. It's an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. See, here's, here's how we can use this. Poor reasoning. Oh, well, I, my mind was foggy. It was cloudy. I just wasn't thinking correctly, so I made a mistake. Or uh, mistake of carelessness. Oh, well, I just didn't see Whatever it was that I hit or bumped into or hurt, you know, I just didn't see it. So I was just careless. It's just a mistake. Um, The uh, mistake of insufficient knowledge. Well, I didn't know any better. How can you expect me to to not make a mistake if I didn't know the rules in the first place? So it's just a mistake. And so we like this word because then we can say, well, I mess up. I hurt you in some way. And say, oh, my bad. My mistake. No big deal. It's not the end of the world. It's just a mistake. Can't you get over it? See, we like that word. Now, there's a huge difference between sin and mistake. Because if everything I do can be dumbed down to what's, to what's just a mistake, that makes me a mistaker. I'm a mistaker, which means I don't have sin. 
if, if I don't have sin, then I'm not a sinner. And if I don't have sin, then I really don't have any need for a savior. I'm just a mistaker. You can't be mad at me if I'm a mistaker because I just made a mistake. It's not that big a deal. If, I, if I'm a mistaker, all I have to do is try a little harder next time. I have to do just a little bit better next time. Mistakers just have to break a nasty little habit. Mistakers just need to be more consistent. Mistakers just need to up their game a little bit next time. But if I'm a sinner, trying harder isn't going to cut it. If I'm a sinner, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. If I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Now, here's the thing. You might be able to convince me that you're a mistaker. You may be able to convince those around you that you're a mistaker, but on those nights when you can't sleep and you're laying in bed staring at the ceiling and you're doing some soul searching, or maybe sometime you know, you, you're looking in the mirror and you're wondering who this person is that's staring back at you in the mirror and you have those deep moments where you look into your soul, you know yourself better than that. You know you're not just a mistaker. You did it on purpose. It was intentional. You just didn't think you'd get caught. Not only did you do it on purpose, you enjoyed it, and you're secretly hoping you can do it again. This is well thought out. And when somebody brings it to your attention, you can pass it off as a mistake. But you know it wasn't poor reasoning. You know it wasn't lack of knowledge. It wasn't carelessness. You knew exactly what you were doing. It's way deeper than just a mistake, isn't it? It was into a world of mistakers that Jesus came. 2,000 years ago, about to celebrate his his birthday in a few weeks. He came to these mistakers, and uh, in his ministry here on earth, he taught these two wildly opposing ideas that didn't seem like they should come out of the same mouth. Here's idea number one on your listening guide. You're terrible. This, This is Jesus' message. You're terrible. See, he came along and he made everybody feel worse about themselves. He came into this environment where they dumbed down God's laws and they said, oh, it's not that hard to be godly. It's not that hard to be righteous. You just have to follow these rules and you can be there. And, and God's not that serious. Jesus, Jesus said, wait, 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 wait. You thought the bar was down here? No, no, no. The bar is way out of sight. The bar's so high you can't even see it. Jesus came to, rise, to, to raise the bar. He said, you thought you were good? No, you're not good. You thought you were kind of bad? You're really, really bad. You thought you were righteous? God, uh, Jesus says, you're not righteous. Not even close. Nobody's good enough to be in God's favor. That's idea number one. Idea number two, Jesus would follow that message up with, God loves you. Idea number one, you're terrible. Idea number two, God loves you. And, and the, the people who heard him are scratching their head. They're going, no, wait, wait it, it's got to be one or the other. It can't be both. It, I'm either, either I'm terrible or God loves me. And Jesus goes, no, that's the good news is it's both. You're terrible. You're worse than you thought you were. And God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And this was really strange to people. They want, the the mistakers didn't want to be around Jesus because he made them feel so bad about themselves. But the people who knew in their gut that they were sinners, the people who realized what Jesus was saying was the truth, They love to be around the guy 
Because they knew. They knew if it, it depends on me, there's no way I can become righteous. They were saying, I know myself. I can't be a righteous person on my own. I can't try harder. I can't get enough information. There's no way I can be righteous. And so they loved Jesus because Jesus said, I'll do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And they're saying, if there's any hope for me in the world, it's not from trying harder. It's not from doing better. It has to come from Jesus. Now, I want you to to watch how Jesus raises this bar. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones and the Bible app, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Because we're going to talk about this. This thing that, that I need a Savior. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is breaking on the scene. This is most famous sermons from the Sermon on the Mount. He's sitting on a mountainside, hence the name of Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to this group of people, and it's this great sermon. Well, in verse 17, look what he says. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, if you think I'm coming to start something new and do away with the old, he said, no, forget it. All of those laws in the Old Testament, I've actually come to fulfill those laws. I'm not dumbing anything down. I'm not going to abolish them. In other words, he's saying, if you think that I'm making it easier on you, no, I didn't come to make it easier. I came to tell you the truth. I've come not to dumb things down. I've come to fulfill it and raise the bar. Here he starts in verse 19. If you break the smallest commandment, he was talking about the Old Testament. That's all he had written down. He said, if you break the smallest commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be least in the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is, what I'm about to teach you in no way uh, does away with all of that stuff from the Old Testament that you've learned all your lives. They had these things memorized. They had most of the Old Testament. A good Jewish male would memorize most of the Old Testament. He's saying, I've not come away to do, come to do away with any of that. I've come to fulfill it. And I'm going to raise the standard. And then he does. Oh my goodness. Does he ever. Verse 20. But I warn you, unless you obey God better than the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees do, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven at all. So Jesus talks to these very religious people and he says, you see the best people possibly that you know? You see those people? They're, they're good people in your eyes. He says, unless you're better than them, you can't even see the kingdom of God. So the Billy Grahams of the world, the Mother Teresas, unless you're better than them, you'll not sniff the kingdom of God. This was a strange thing. Now look what he says in verse 21. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. And they all immediately remember the Ten Commandments. Because remember, they've got it memorized. No other gods. No idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Honor, uh, remember the Sabbath day. Number five is honor your father and mother. Number six is thou shalt not murder. And they're like, man, I'm not a murderer. So, okay, we're going to play crowd participation for a second. I want you to turn to somebody and go, I am no murderer. Turn the other way. Say it with conviction. Y'all aren't sure. Some of you aren't sure. I thought you'd be convinced that you're not a murderer. All right, now look what Jesus says. Because this is what the Pharisees, the teachers, they're thinking, well, I'm no murderer. Number six on God's top ten. Man, I've got that taken care of. Look what he says in verse 22. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Wait a minute. Jesus, are you saying that if... If I even think angry thoughts, if I think about murder, but I, you know, I just don't want to get caught, or maybe you know, just in a, the moment of passion, I think I could kill them, but, but I think, no, whoa, no, I can't kill them, because then I'd go to jail. You, if I even think those thoughts, you're equating that with murder? Jesus goes, yep. Wow. I don't even have to 
do anything? Because do not murder, that's a, that's a do thing. I don't even have to do anything to be guilty before God. Jesus says, yeah, bye. the bar is way higher than you thought. So now their minds are, are scrambled. They're thinking about that. And Jesus moves on to verse 27. You have heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. All right. Crowd participation. Look at somebody and say, I am no adulterer. Or else, well, never mind. We won't even, we won't even ask you. If you this is number seven. This is the next one in God's top ten. No adultery. And they're thinking, whoo, I'm glad we're back to one of those ten commandments that I've not even come close to breaking. And Jesus jacks up everybody. <laughs> Verse 28. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has already committed adultery with her in his heart. All right, that's it. I'm leaving Jesus because you've just called all of us. Well, not me, but you've called all my friends, all the band. You've called them all adulterers. And so, no, no, I'm not staying here. And then you think about it. Wait, Jesus, you've just called every man who's ever looked lustfully. That may be every man on the planet who's ever lived. Jesus, Jesus, can we take you seriously? Because come on. Who can be that good? Who can be that righteous? Who can possibly, as a man, go through his whole life and never look on a woman lustfully? Come on, Jesus, what are you thinking about? And, and if that's the standard, then nobody's going to get into heaven. God's going to be in heaven by himself because no one can be that good. No one is righteous. Jesus says, I'm not done. Keep your pens out. Verse 43. You've heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And they're probably thinking, oh, no. I don't even want to hear what he goes with this. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Old Testament that you were taught to love those who, who are kind to you. Love, love your friends. Jesus says, love your enemies. And they're going, but Jesus, if I'm honest with you, I don't even know my neighbor's names. I don't know their kids. I don't pray for them. You want me to pray for and love my enemies? What are you thinking, Jesus? You're telling me God expects me to do something like this. That's righteousness. That's his standard. There's no way I can possibly do that. You're telling me I'm an adulterer because I have lustful thoughts. I'm a murderer because I'm angry and I'll never please you because I don't pray for and love my enemies. That's what it takes to be righteous. Good grief. There's no one who's righteous. That brings me to point number three. Idea number three. Only God is righteous. And that was the whole point of Jesus teaching. You thought you were good? No, you're not even close to good. You thought you were righteous? No, no, you're not righteous. Jesus said, now you got it. That's my point. Jesus is saying to him, you came to this sermon thinking you were mistakers who just needed to do a little bit better. Jesus said, my, my job is to convince you that you're a sinner, not a mistaker, and you need a savior. And by the way, that, that is exactly my job today too. Sorry if you came for a nice, feel-good story today. i got to tell you the truth, which is what this whole series has been about, is telling the truth. Now, idea number four. Mistakers trust themselves. Mistakers, it's all about me. It's all about I have to do better. I can try a little harder. I can, I can do better next time. Sinners? Sinners trust the Savior. Sinners trust Jesus. There's a world of difference. And the amazing thing is, throughout the Gospels, that's when Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, when Jesus is walking around on the planet, when he's teaching, 
The people who, who thought they were mistakers did not like Jesus. But the people who knew they were sinners flocked him. Prostitutes, tax collectors, the worst of the worst. Men and women who were condemned by society as outright sinners, they loved to be with Jesus. Because he had these two messages. Message number one, you're terrible. Message number two, God loves you. Message number one, you're hopelessly lost. Message number two, God sent me to find you. And they said, awesome. We'll follow you. Now, until you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, you don't think you need a savior. Until you understand that you are not righteous and you'll never be righteous... We had this conversation yesterday. My brother-in-law was sitting on the couch and, and we were just... It, somewhere in the conversation is always going to turn to God, you know, and he was boasting about something. I said, I will boast in nothing but the cross. And, and he's, you know, we were talking about righteous and all this stuff. And, and then, you know, in all seriousness, we said, you know, we're not righteous. In fact, I think somebody said, we need... I think it was Rachel came in and said, we need a holy man to come pray over the meal. And we we're like, there ain't no holy man in here. And then we said, the only, way, the only way a sinner becomes righteous is because a Savior takes their place and declares them righteous. Mistakers never get there. Sinners come to Jesus and he says, because of Jesus, but God says, because of what my son did, you are now, you don't owe the, the debt that you owed. It has been paid and you're declared righteous. You've got to embrace that fact or you'll never get into the kingdom of God. Now, many years later, about 10, 15, 20 years later, the Apostle Paul was writing, and that's where we get this verse that we started with. We're going back to it, Romans three twenty three, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. So that means no matter... The Old Testament, it says, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. No matter how good or pure your motives are, they're not good enough to get you into heaven. That's what Jesus was saying. We all fall short of the standard. And the standard is perfection. Don't compare yourself to somebody else sitting on your row because that's not what's going to matter in heaven. When you stand in heaven, the, the, the target is Jesus Christ. The target is perfection. And you will be compared to Him. And the only way that you get into heaven is if He has paid the price for your sins. You're like, oh, well, He paid the price for everybody's sins. Yes, but you have to accept it. A gift that is offered to you that you never receive and open does you no good. The gift of salvation, the gift of being adopted into God's family and spending eternity in heaven with Him only comes to those who receive it, accept it, believe it, and act upon it. Now, when you hear this verse, you would expect the next thing to be, and God is ticked off. All have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. You would expect the next verse. I mean, me, I'd expect, and boy, is God mad. Boy, is there thunder and lightning bolts in your future because God's coming after you. That's what you'd expect. But look what he says in verse 24. All need to be made right with God by his grace, which is a free gift. There's that gift thing again. They need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ. See, this is, this is the big point. As long as I make mistakes, I can make up for my mistakes. But when it becomes sin, when I become a sinner, there's a debt I owe that I cannot pay. And I am hopeless and I am helpless without a Savior. There's a sacrifice that needs to be made. And so the sinner says to God, God, I, I've messed up. And I need you. And I can't even pay you. And God goes, you're right, you're broke. You're so broke, you can't make one payment. And that would be bad news. 
But you know, we're about to celebrate Jesus' birthday. And you remember what the angels said when they came to the, uh, to the shepherds? He said, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It's good news. The bad news is you have no hope. You're worse than you thought you were. The good news is God loves you and sent a Savior. But until you accept that Savior, till you apply it to your account, that gift does you no good. Sinner says, God, I can't pay you. Sounds an awful lot like the thief on the cross, doesn't it? Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, today, because you've bowed to me today, you'll be with me in paradise. Look at verse 25. God gave him a way to forgive sin through faith in the blood of Jesus' death. This showed that God always does what is right and fair, as in the past when he was patient, did not punish the people for their sins. Mistakers, I'm trusting myself. Sinners, realize I can't, I don't need to do better. I don't need a motivational speaker. I don't need a cheerleader. I need a savior. And you become a Christian the moment you realize I am a sinner and you stop trusting in yourself. You take faith out of yourself and you put faith in the Savior. As a sinner, I realize there's nothing I can do to pay for my sin. Even if I started today and did right for the rest of my life, never sinned for the rest of my life, there's no way I can go back and make up for, make payments for all the wrong things I've done in my life. And you can't either. And so... I believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He didn't die for my mistakes. He died for my sins. And I needed a Savior. That's why the sooner you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, the sooner you can receive the ultimate gift. You're enabled to accept God's grace towards you. The sooner you're able to experience His forgiveness, the sooner you're able to experience a personal relationship with Jesus that is real and makes a difference in your life other than Sunday mornings from 11 to 12 a.m. Why don't you bow your heads for just a moment? I want you to examine your life and I want you to ask this question. Am I pretending I'm a mistaker? Or am I admitting I'm a sinner? If you're a mistaker, it's, it's my prayer that you'll, you'll listen to the words of Jesus. Not my words, the words of Jesus. You're not kind of good, you're horrible. But God loves you right where you are. If you are a sinner, my next question is, have you been rescued from your sin through what Jesus did on the cross? Have you accepted His free gift? If not... Here's how you do it. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in your mind right now, you just say, God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Just pray that silently. You pray, I believe Jesus died for my sins. He was raised to new life and now I want to follow Him. And then you say, God, would you be the leader for the rest of my life? As much as I know how, I give everything of myself to you right now, God. And ask you to forgive me. Now, if you just prayed that, only the people who just prayed that, would you look at me for just a moment? The Bible says that when you pray that prayer, 
All of your debt is transferred from your account to Jesus Christ's account. It's paid for. And you're moved from someone who is far from God to someone who's in the family of God. My family can walk in and out of my house freely. My family has keys to my house where they can come in. If the door's locked, they can come in. They're not denied entrance into my house. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, you are now a part of God's family. He loves you right where you are, but He's not going to leave you there. He wants to help you grow spiritually. So in just a moment, when we fill out our registration cards, I want you to write on the back, Today I was rescued. Everybody close your eyes again. We're going to pray. We're almost finished. Father, I just want to thank you for the, for the gift of Jesus. And Lord, what I saw on Thursday night at Walmart, that wasn't a happy time for the season. The reason for the season is not cheap electronics, toys. I didn't see a lot of joy. I didn't see a lot of peace, goodwill toward men. I saw a lot of hopelessly misguided people, myself included, trying to get good deals. But Father, let us realize today that there are more important things than what what toys or gifts we wrap and put under the tree. There's a lot more important stuff in life. And the most important is to be a member of your family so that when I die, I don't face hell. I get to hang out with a spiritual family for eternity. So God, I pray that there's some folks who've stepped into your family today. And I pray this in your name. Amen. We have uh, three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. We're going to have to do it again because there's guests here today and that wasn't very joyful. First is our joy basket. Thank you. The scripture said God loves a cheerful giver. And we have a basket at the back. And if you're a guest, we never ask for a dime of your money. We will give you a gift as, as long as you want to come here and, and experience our church service. We will teach you about uh, Christ. We will, we will have fun. We'll do some fun videos. I can't wait for you all to see the videos from the Xmas games. Those are going to be great. Uh, no pressure, Drew. Um, but we're filming those days. It's going to be fun. We like to have fun here, but we take our relationship with Jesus very, very seriously. One of the things that Jesus teaches is you're supposed to, if you're a member of a church or you're a regular attender there, you're supposed to contribute to the ongoing um, things at that church through giving a, a portion of your money. And the starting point is 10%. We're just very upfront about that. It's taught in the Old Testament. It's taught in the New Testament. So our church members, regular attenders, know what to give there. If you're a guest, you do not give. We don't want your money. Um, we want you to come back and try it again. And if some point God calls you to be a member of our church, then yay. Then at that point, you contribute. There's another basket back there. It's our registration card basket. If you, um, that's where you put the, the cards, obviously. I want you to write something on the back. I always ask you to put something down. Some of you came in here, you already knew you were a Christ follower. You write, I've been rescued. If today was the day, you put, I've been rescued, and then you put, first time that you prayed that prayer. Or, you know, a lot of people aren't sure, and, and I'm not making fun of this at all. Some people prayed that prayer over and over and over again. I remember doing that as a kid. Every time I went to vacation Bible school, I got saved uh, when I was a kid. And, and so I prayed those prayers over and over, and it may be the hundredth time you've prayed it. And that's all right, just write the hundredth time. Now, if it's the first time, though, 
I need to talk to you about baptism. So be sure and write that on there so I'll know uh, whether we need to talk about baptism or not. Then some of you realize that you are lost and you're not ready to make that step. And that's okay. We don't want to push you into anything. So we want you to just be gut level honest. If you're lost and you know you're lost, you just write down, I'm lost. And we will pray for you. And if you need to talk to me, man, I'll talk to you anytime, day or night. Um, And we won't ever pressure you to become a member of God's family. But we believe if you keep coming and you keep listening, eventually God's going to get through to your heart. And you're going to be in the, in the family of God. The Bible says that, that when one sinner repents, that the angels in heaven rejoice. It's a party. And so I'm praying that there is a party in heaven today. There's a third basket back there. It's our bagel basket. Bagel means building a great life. We're trying to get out of debt as quickly as possible. We've paid off over $100,000 on our debt to this building and the land in the last year. And we're trying to get out of debt as quickly as possible because we believe we're supposed to build a new building out here on the parking lot in the future. So the money that goes in there goes to pay off our debt. (sighs) All right. CR tonight. No small groups. Next Sunday is first Sunday. So it's Mexican food. And we have some Mexican food cooks here. There's got to be some, some descent in there somewhere because there's some good Mexican food. So we want you all to come and, and enjoy that next week. You're dismissed.